listening to Assurity's Good Business Podcast. I'm Matt. In this show, we're talking to the leaders who are successfully making business better for the world, from eco-friendly changemakers to companies that give back to their people and communities in a big way. Today, a special treat. Ice cream. As in, I scream, you scream, we all scream for equity and socially responsible business. Or something like that. We're talking to Ben and Jerry's, beloved all around the world not only for their delicious dairy and non-dairy desserts, but also for their progressive stances and staunch support of social causes. As you might guess, it takes a lot of work to cultivate a business that makes both great products and a big difference. And few know that better than our guest, Sean Greenwood. Sean is Ben and Jerry's grand poobah of PR, his official title, and an enviable one at that. And he's been with the company over decades of growth. It's amazing to have such an iconic business on the show, and there's a ton to learn here. So let's get started by learning a little about Sean, like what the grand poobah of PR is, and how he got his start at Ben & Jerry's. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's nice to throw a bone to start things off. I, uh, I usually use my full title as the grand poobah of public relations, and uh, people go, all right, how did you get that thing, right? And, and uh I've been really fortunate to be part of Ben & Jerry's for a while now. I started uh, while I was in college, and, and so I joined Ben & Jerry's in 1988 and was able to uh, you know, be part of this organization when there was about 100 people working at, at the office and, uh, and have been able to be you know, part of, of the evolution of it and really consider myself lucky. There, there's, uh, there's kind of the notion in the office, and I share it too, if I had to apply for the job today, it's a lot more competitive today than, than when we got in. So, you know, my, my job is focusing on public relations and we want to tell the stories of these things that we believe in, right? We believe in making great ice cream. We believe in trying to use the power of our business. And so that's what I get to do full time. And as far as what his daily work entails, there's what you'd expect from the PR head of a multinational organization. But unlike others in comparable roles, there's a huge emphasis on the company's social mission. Yeah, I mean, there's there's writing about chunks and swirls, right? That's kind of a, a big part of the job, obviously talking about the product. But the belief at Ben & Jerry's is that we want to have equal weight for what it is that we believe in doing with the business, our, our social mission, uh, as well as product. So it's not just all about selling ice cream, right? And that, that I think, both uh, helps me sleep at night and, and helps me feel good about the job and the company that we're trying to do more out there than just try to get rich by selling ice cream to people. So I think, you know, yes, I, I write about chunks and swirls, but I spend as much time, uh, you know, learning about things like racism and, and global warming and uh, uh, equity and equality. And so uh, I, I get to stick up for a lot of those things and learn just like a lot of our fans and then try to bring that out and, and share those stories. If you've spent time in the social business space, you're probably at least a little familiar with the mission work of Ben & Jerry's. It's hard to miss, and that's just a testament to the reach the brand has been able to achieve. If you're unfamiliar, Ben & Jerry's is a self-described activist organization. Here's what that means, and why it's such a core part of the business. I think we consider ourselves an aspiring activist company. Like, There's always work to be done, and, and while... Hopefully we're doing some things that are impactful. There's always improvements to be made. Like it's never an end point, right? There's always, there's always work that you should be doing. So the, the belief in, in this really goes back to the beginning, right? The, the co-founders, when Jerry and Ben started this business almost 44 years ago, May 5th will be 44 years. Uh, it, you know, the idea at that point was they didn't want to take advantage of somebody to make a profit. And it seemed like that was a lot of the business models that were out there. They were operational. It was like, 
buy something, mark it up, pay someone very little, use their labor for cheap, and then profit off it. And, and uh, the guys did not really like that at all. And so they really challenged themselves to go out and, and create a new business model. And I think what that grew to was this mission of, of having you know a, an equal weighted focus on being a business, making a profit, but also doing something good in the world while trying to make great quality products. So those three parts are supposed to be equally weighted. And I think that was a unique model because at the time there were plenty of, of uh, nonprofits and there were plenty of businesses who said, we'll give away a percentage of our profits. But Ben & Jerry's is a very much a for-profit and profitable business. But the idea of having an equal interest in that bottom line, as well as the impact in our global community, that was kind of the model that those two set out and that we've continued to evolve ever since. Now, we see a lot more companies like this these days, starting up with a mission in mind. But in 1977, that was kind of a big idea. Even for companies like Assurity, where purpose is baked into what we do, we didn't codify our mission until relatively recently. As always with Pioneers, it took some time for Ben & Jerry's to find their stride. But despite refinement over the years, that social mission has always been present. Right, the social mission piece of, of how do we have the community in our in our sites and say we want to make sure that as we prosper as a business, they prosper. It's a notion that the guys labeled linked prosperity that we have in our mission statement. Uh, and so early on, it was pretty basic. I mean, as, as Ben and Jerry started the business, Ben was the one who was kind of passionate about that and saying, how do we grow these things out? So Ben would find these issues to, to jump on. Uh, you know, one of the early examples included, uh, you know, at the, at the time, especially in the early 80s, the Cold War with Russia was still going on. And so trying to look at some way to increase peaceful negotiations between countries was really a, an important issue. So Ben ended up coming up with the idea of doing a, a an ice cream bar on a stick called a peace pop. And, uh, and donated 1% of the sales of those to these peaceful exchange programs between the Russia, between Russia and, and the U.S. And so, you know, the idea is how do you take a stance and how do you act? And Ben is a person that loves action, right? Ben Ben's not one that says, hey, let's measure this 27 times before we go out. Ben wants to get out there and do something and, and feel like we can make an impact that way. And I think the way we've evolved then since then, since those earlier days, I think we're much more structured now, right? We're, we're much more targeted where one of the challenges I think we saw really during my time at Ben and Jerry's, probably 10 years in, 15 years in, we would run like it was like putting out fires running from one to the next. And it might be, oh, God, we had to do something global warming over there. OK, quick. Now there's a children's issue over here. Quick. Now let's run over here. And there's, uh, you know, uh, 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 things we can help with around women's issues. And and it was so scattered. I don't think we had the same impact that we were hoping for. And, I, and so I think both we've become more focused and I think we've been a lot better at measuring our impact, right? Setting goals and being able to measure. So if you take uh, in 2015, we did a campaign called Save Our Swirled. That was both the name of the campaign and the name of an ice cream flavor. So we, we traveled on the U.S. as well as other countries. In the U.S., we actually wrapped a Tesla in the Save Our Swirled, uh, you know, so you can find that online uh, as this kind of zero emissions ice cream truck of the future. Like we pulled out the back seat on the Tesla and put in a uh, three ice cream freezer so we could scoop out of it. So uh, the idea was let's get out there and do something and take a stance on this for the environment and really focus on it with a, a handful of other countries where Ben & Jerry's sold that participated. And so we brought hundreds of thousands of signatures from this tour to ask our elected leaders to invest in renewable energy. 
right? And so that that was going on at the COP21 in Paris that year. And so we were the only business that was allowed in. We came in with this kind of, you know, box full of 300,000 postcards or whatever it was that people had signed up from around the globe saying, people are asking for this. We want to use our business to be able to do that. So it, that, right, as an example, is much more structured. It kind of focused like over the year, how do we bring this campaign out? How do we connect with our fans? How do we then have our collective voice go back to our, our officials to try to affect that system? And I think that's what we've been doing with our business much more in, in the past 10 years is focusing on where do we make an impact? How do we set up goals? And to be able to try to say, you know, where do we truly make a difference? Across his time at Ben & Jerry's, Sean has taken part in some impressive initiatives and projects. But throughout all of them, there have been some guiding values that help to inform the company's work. You know, the the belief in equity has always been one, you know, the, well, I think where we see kind of our strong point being social justice and environmental justice as the two. And a lot of times where those overlap, there's people, right? So you look at issues like uh, poor people in big cities usually live in the most marginalized places, right? Usually the cheapest real estate that they can afford uh, is going to be in an area where there's air pollution or noise pollution or issues like that. So we really see that work. And and again, we're focusing on equity for for many years. Uh, And so that has been a huge focus for us. And and that equity plays out. It can be, uh, you know, when you look at who is most marginalized, how do you try to help? It can be looking at, uh, you know, women's issues and and looking at equal pay for women. You can look at uh, people of color and saying, what is it that we can do to try to help understand the oppression that black and brown people go through in our country? We can look at issues like uh, marriage equality, right, for the LGBTQ community to say that that's a huge one. And at the time, you know, 30 years ago, there weren't a lot of businesses that were getting out there and talking about those things. So I remember when when I was first with the company, we offered uh, same sex partners benefits at Ben and Jerry's. Right. So in the end of the 80s and going into the 90s, there were not a lot of businesses that were doing that. Right. Today, you can get online and during Pride Week, there's every product under the sun that's made has a rainbow version of it that they post, which is wonderful, right? That that it's actually moved into this this vernacular where people are actually talking about those issues openly and and any brand can kind of get involved and do it. That that's tremendous. I think we were at the forefront of that saying we want to stick up for that. We want people to know that we believe in those things and and I think the the last five years it the focus of that work has really been on racial justice and looking at how do we use the power of our business to address that. And that brings us to today. Like Sean said, Ben and Jerry's main focus over the last few years has been on racial justice. A big undertaking, to say the least. And that's part of the reason Ben and Jerry's dedicates years to the causes they champion. It's hard to understand such wide-ranging issues in a short time, let alone make a meaningful difference. So what can be accomplished in six years? Here's the short answer. Yeah, I think, you know, so this went back to 2015 time. We were looking at what was our social mission focus going to be for that next year, right? It plays on that idea of being focused. And what we had said was, in terms of marginalized folks, we still felt like there was a lot of challenges in, in, in the U.S. specifically, right, around uh, racial justice and, and looking at the oppression of black and brown people. And the idea that we live and operate in a system that has been built around those people who are in power and those people who have the money, which are the people that look white, right? And and so the idea of the system is working exactly the way it's supposed to and the way it's been designed. Uh, and so we've started to say, okay, how can we get involved with this discussion? And part of it, it doesn't help if you just go, all right, we're going to come in and try to be the savior and, and 
pat ourselves on the back and go, what a good job. You know, we ended up going to North Carolina and meeting with a number of different nonprofit organizations that were doing work on the streets, work on the ground on civil rights. And we said to them, teach us and help us understand what are the issues? Where can we be helpful? It doesn't help for us just to walk in and say, we have the answer and, and totally miss the mark, right? And so that's the work we've been trying to focus on the last five plus years is, uh, you know, at that time going into 2016 was an election year. That, and so the work that we were kind of engaged in at that time, we were asked, why don't you go out and try to get people feeling excited to vote, get, empower the vote, get, get let people know why, you know, they're feeling pretty disenfranchised around it. And part of that was, again, totally intentional because that's the way the system works, right? We, we tend to have the people who are in power look at uh, people who don't look like them. So if you're a white person who's in power, usually the most white old guys uh, that are making the rules that come in and go, all right, how do we keep us in power, right? And, and they'll do things like gerrymander vote, voting districts and say, let's either put all of the you know black people in one district so they may win one district, but don't have any influence in the others, or let's spread them out loosely so they don't have any impact at all. Uh, and, and these things that were happening that we were surprised to learn, right? Uh, things, again, this is 2016. This is not going back to the 1800s. This was happening in the last few years. Uh, issues like voter suppression to say to go in, in, you go right in North Carolina and find a community of 200,000 white people who might have 20 voting booths to go in and you can just leave your work, go down for 15 minutes, stay in line, go and cast your vote and you're done. If you live in a black community of 200,000 people and they have four voting booths, all of a sudden they go down and they have to stay in line for six hours to get their vote cast. Kind of what messages does that send immediately off the top, right? It says your vote doesn't count. It doesn't matter as much as white people's. Uh, and it, it's this kind of within the system, not illegal, right, type operation. Like, no, we, we provided voting booths. They have a chance to vote just like everybody else. But when you drill down and you understand where the voter suppression kind of work was happening, it was, frankly, it was eye-opening. Uh, I've learned so much myself in the last five years, right? I think one of the things when people say, okay, so you've done this work on racism, how's it landed? Uh, I think we're, we are, we're having a wider conversation around it, but we haven't fixed racism in the U.S., right? We haven't solved anything. I think we have grown our institutional knowledge for the people at my office, right, that are doing this work. And so it allows us to be able to come out and say, well, I didn't understand this before. I didn't understand that the voter suppression was happening in our current day and age because I'm a white privileged person. I live up in Vermont where it's 94% white. I don't see these things, right, on a, on a regular basis. And I think as we have begin to open our eyes to it, learn more, look at our history and understand the intentionality behind it, it is, uh, it's an amazing thing to be part of. And, and I think we're just, we try to bring that, what our learning is, right? Because we're, we're great at one thing at Ben & Jerry's. That's making great desserts, right? We make these great frozen desserts. When we do these activism campaigns, we're getting better at them. But we also learn every time. So we work with these partners who are experts in it, right? Whether it's those experts advising us in North Carolina, whether it's groups like uh, the ACLU or the NAACP that come in and, and, you know, take us through the information and say, you have to understand the history and why these things are happening now. That has grown our ability to be able to tell these stories and really, you know, solidified the, the thought that we want to do this as work. Sean brings up a really, really important element to their activism here. Something that can make a difference between a token effort and an actual impact. Learning. As it turns out, a big part of the company's activist work is learning about the issues at hand 
to find out the best solutions. We're ice cream makers. We make ice cream. We make non-dairy products. Uh, for us to go out and say, okay, we're going to talk about the criminal justice system, or we're going to talk about the school-to-prison pipeline, or we're going to talk about voting rights for returning citizens who have spent time in prison. We don't have all those answers, right? We, we need to go research those. And that's why we work with these partners who are excellent folks to, who are, you know, usually we don't always go with the largest, maybe well-known organization, but we really like those people that are on the streets doing that work, right? If they've been entrenched in it and, and that's what they're, you know, that's what they're known for. That's what they do well. Those are the folks a lot of times that we'll look to partner with. So that's really been our, our focus and, and being able to, get together with those folks, learn more about those issues, bring those stories. Again, increase our own learning because we have to learn just like everybody else and then provide those opportunities to be able to bring our fans along, right? And, and I think that's the difference Ben & Jerry's feels like the role it plays as opposed to cause-related marketing, right? Where a business may just go, all right, I'm going to donate X amount to a certain you know disease or something like that uh, where, where they're going to say, you know, I want to make... I want to do something good so people like us and then we'll buy our products. That's not what Ben and Jerry's does, right? We start and look at what's the progressive change we want to seek. So it may be marriage equality. We believe that everybody should be able to be with who they choose to be. You know, whoever you love should be your partner and we want to support those people. So then we go back and go, how do we learn about this, share that information and try to bring the public and our fans along on that ride as, as we've learned and to be able to then help change the, the system that way and be able to support those folks. It all comes back to the concept of linked prosperity, which you might remember Sean mentioning at the beginning of the episode. It runs deep at Ben & Jerry's, encompassing all their values and their three intertwined missions, product, economic, and social. For Sean and the rest of the company, linked prosperity is about looking at the big picture. Yeah, I think linked prosperity is looking at the entire kind of business chain. Right. So it's not just at the end when you're marketing. Right. You should make sure that this goes in. Where are you buying ingredients from? Right. So sourcing ingredients for a business like Ben and Jerry's is such a huge opportunity. Again, when Ben and Jerry was first starting out, they found out that most businesses just take advantage of somebody else. Say, you know, so it might be if you're going to make an ice cream with bananas in it, you would say, OK, we're going to buy bananas from a developing country. And what would happen traditionally would be someone would go and say, as a salesperson, say, I'll give you a dollar a pound for your bananas. And then the person would go, you know, we're talking about small holder farming, like, you know, like maybe three or four family members and one donkey. So they load up the burrow with bananas and come down to sell them at the boat. And all of a sudden the salesperson's there going, I said a dollar, but I can't really pay a dollar. I can only pay you 50 cents a pound for bananas. And so all of a sudden, here's a person with all their crop picked and it's, it may spoil, it may not last, and they don't have any option. They were taking advantage of that way. So fair trade is a program that really sets this floor price to ensure those folks, you know, those farmers get a fair wage for their product. Uh, and so it's those kind of things that we try to do with our, our purchasing, whether it's supporting a model like fair trade, which, you know, all the ingredients in Ben and Jerry's products are, are fair traded where it's available. Uh, and then there's other things like dairy is not a fair trade product. That's usually locally sourced where you manufacture. So, you know, we work with, with a bunch of Vermont farmers up here and, and, you know, right next to our two manufacturing plants, we provide all the ice cream for the U S out of these two. And so working with those farmers, it's not fair to say, you know, there's a lot of challenges to farming. When you look at the environmental impact, when you look at the the price structure right now, the pay that farmers get for their milk and cream 
often falls below the price of production. Like what kind of a business model is that? How are they supposed to survive? It's So we don't feel like it's fair to say, hey, that's your business. We're just here to buy the stuff you're making. We're helping you out and uh, you go figure it out. And so over the last decade, we have developed this program called Caring Dairy, where uh, it's really evolved over the years to look at it. The target's always been look at sustainability on farms. How do we help those farmers to do their job? And how do we help them hopefully succeed, right? The, when you look at the number of farms here in Vermont alone, I think even 40 years ago, we had something like 4,000 farms. This year, I believe we're under 800 farms, right? So it's just this decimating number and average and trend that's happened. So how do we try to protect those farms to be able to be around for the next 10 or 20 years and hopefully 100 years? So that is the work that this Caring Dairy program does, right? And we try to work with the farmers provide a, a way to be able to support them, use some of the uh, resources that a business like ours has to be able to say, we can look at these issues and research these issues and provide some structure to be able to hopefully give them a kind of, uh, you know, a little assistance in their in their effort, right? So that's the idea of Link Prosperity. It's like across all all of the chains of your company. How do you do that? How do you bring it on? And we're not perfect, right? We've got a lot of like, one of the things we're, we're working on right now, looking at this issue around racial equity the majority of our farms and suppliers are white-owned businesses, right? And so for us saying, we got to look at ourselves too. We got to be part of this equation. We can't just go out and say, hey, everybody, uh, white supremacy is an issue. Go solve it. It's not, a, you know, it's not a thing for them. It's a thing for all of us. And so for us looking at that with our vendors, we're doing that actively right now saying, you know, there's a reason why there's not a lot of black farmers, right? It's because 120 years ago when uh, the U.S. was giving out land, it, they didn't give it to people who are black. They gave it to people who are white. And they provided those people with training and assets and resources to be able to be profitable. And then those white families passed that wealth down through the generations, right? So there's a reason why I, I actually was just researching an article the other day and came across an interview with Ben and Jerry from 30 years ago. And Ben at the time is saying, yeah, we're trying to find a black owned peach farmer for a peach flavor. And we're still doing it now, 30 years later. It's not, it's not an accident. It's intentional. It's the way the system was put together. And so we're, we're more aware of it now. We're like, all right, we need to work harder to make sure that we bring more black suppliers, more black franchisee owners of Ben and Jerry's Scoop Shops, right? And, and how do we use that specific intention of your business then to try to make an impactful, measurable difference? If you're a longtime listener of the show, or a short time since we've only been around seven months or so, there's a chance you remember some of our earlier guests talking about Ben & Jerry's impressive supply chain. Episodes 2 and 3 of Good Business, featuring Becca Quirk of B-Lab and Dr. Chris Marquis of Cornell University, respectively, both brought up one of the ice cream company's suppliers, Grayston Bakery. For context, Grayston Bakery is one of our fellow B corporations based out of Yonkers, New York, that pioneered a unique open hiring concept. Basically, it works like this. If you want a job, you add your name to their list. No matter your past, background, or circumstances, you'll get the job when there's an opening, and can keep it so long as you're capable. Their system was wildly successful, and has been emulated by other companies since. Grayston is a great example of the linked prosperity Ben & Jerry's tries to model and incorporate into their supply chain. So I asked Sean to talk about that relationship, and the other vendors they use to further the cause. Yeah, Grayston's a great example, right? They, we really kind of see them as the crown jewel of values-led sourcing, and, and they've helped right, develop and grow the same time as we have, right? And, and it started with Ben meeting the, the founder of Grayston who said, you know, I'm employing homeless people, giving them skills to, to make desserts, 
can you guys use any of these desserts in your ice cream? So it ended up being brownies that they, one of the things that they could cook and produce that, uh, you know, when we started out, it, it wasn't perfect, right? It was like we were figuring it out as we went along, both the Ben and Jerry side and the Grayson Bakery side. And so I remember early on in our relationship when we were first starting this, it was, you know, us going to Grayson saying, okay, what we need are kind of one inch squares of brownie chunks to put in ice cream. And so their team was working really hard to bake as much as they could. We use, I believe the number, I believe it's 10,000 pounds of brownies. It may actually be 20,000 pounds of brownies a day right now that we use. When we first started out and we were, it was smaller, we were like, all right, you know, maybe it was like, we need a thousand pounds of brownies, but they were all like, oh my God, that's so many brownies that we have to cook. So they were cooking them, putting them in a box and they'd send us these 50 pound boxes. We opened them up in Vermont and dump it out. And it wasn't, one inch cubes, it was one brownie of 50 pounds because all the brownies they had packed well, they were still warm. And so they all glommed together. And so I remember I was working in manufacturing then making ice cream and we're sitting out there on the production floor with a 50 pound brownie made up of one inch pieces. And we're taking like, you know, a little ice pick and you're picking and pull off a little piece, pick out another one, pick out. And you're just sitting there going, okay, let's make this work. We believe in this business, right? But that's what part of this pioneering aspect is about. There's not always a path. You kind of have to work on it and figure it out. And I, I definitely, you know, take my hat off to Grayston is an incredible organization. They have been dedicated towards how do they help homeless people get jobs, get training, get a place to live, get back on their feet. And they've, you know, evolved during that time over the past 10 years to also support this open hiring concept with the idea of being you don't judge a person by their past. What can they do today and what can they do moving forward? And so if someone has a criminal record and has spent time in prison, that does not preclude them from becoming an employee at Grayston, right? And so it's this tremendous program. And and so then when you start looking at it and you say, anytime you can work with a vendor that way, right? Whether we know, you know, 40% of our product is, is cream and milk. So if we're doing the caring dairy there, that's good sourcing there. If then we look at, you know, the other pieces like uh, sugar that are going there or fruits, and those are fair traded. Then you look at those chunks and swirls that are going there. Like, so if the chunks can be from a place like, Grayston or the, another uh, vendor that we use that's right here in Burlington is called Rhino Foods, which Rhino uh, does all the cookie dough pieces. So if you've ever had a you know chocolate chip cookie dough or half baked or any of the flavors we have with cookie dough, Rhino makes that and, and they employ a, a tremendous amount of people in the Burlington area from a lot of diverse backgrounds. Uh, and they're just very progressive that way. And so supporting Rhino is something we want to do with our business, right? And, and so when you start adding that all up, that's the link prosperity piece. That's where the idea of just buying the ingredients, right? It's, you can sit there and say, let's write a check to help homeless people today for $1,000 or $100,000 or a million dollars to be able to establish a business that in its very essence, as in every pint of chocolate fudge brownie or half baked that we make uses brownies from Grayson. That enables them to have jobs to be able to continue investing in and for them to be able to bring people into their organization. That's what Link Prosperity is. Both of the businesses Sean just mentioned, Grayston Bakery and Rhino Foods, are certified B corporations, something that can make it easier to identify partners with similar values and proven commitment. In fact, the ecosystems popping up around sustainable business are helping to create connections that might otherwise never happen. I think we love the, the B Corp movement, right? And, and the folks at B Lab doing an incredible job. It's a big part of why we signed on, right? In the last 10 years, we became a certified B Corp. And we were, I believe, the first wholly owned subsidiary, right? Ben & Jerry's got acquired by Unilever in 2000. And so B 
lab folks had not certified a B Corp business that was in the same position as us. They obviously know what we've been doing with our business and seen kind of examples of that. So they worked with us to be able to have this and, and I think actually set up a little more of a strenuous process to say, because you are a wholly owned subsidiary, we're going to do a certification every year to make sure that, that things are still being followed. So that's tremendous, right? I think we love the idea. And and by the way, Ben & Jerry's was not perfect. Some people come in and go, you know, yeah, the B-Lab score, you can get like up to 200 or whatever it is. How do you guys do? I think the first time we took it, I think we had like 83. It was not a home run. We had a plenty of areas that we could improve in, uh, you know, that we could increase the, the way that we support our community. But we've, like, I think, been all in on, on the B Corp movement just because it does bring organizations together. It has businesses that understand that they have a role in our society, right? And, and we don't feel like anyone else should be Ben and Jerry's. Right, we're the only ones that should be Ben and Jerry's. Just like we shouldn't try to be Patagonia, and Patagonia shouldn't try to be Lush Cosmetics. It's like you need to do what's true to your own business. And when you try to do what someone else's thing is, it, it's not authentic. It doesn't feel right. It's not connected. Instead, to do something that's within your own supply chain, within your own business operations, that's where you, your, you know, your fans and customers, the public, even folks who criticize your business, start going like wow, well, you're doing something that's actually a pretty good fit there, right? I think that movement, we totally support. We feel like, uh, you know, the other B Corps, we, we obviously gravitate towards those folks and we want to support them, right? I, I got a call maybe a year ago, probably two years ago now with a COVID fog that sets in, uh, that it was a, a local bank that was opening up in, in Vermont. And they said, hey, uh, we're opening up a new bank. Want to see if you guys would partner with us. And I was like, it's interesting. What, what's well, the reason? They said, we're a, we're a B Corp. And I said, we're in. What can we do? How do we, how do we support you? Because we want to support that movement and have other businesses also take that ownership to say, look, if we all do something, right? Again, don't be Ben and Jerry's, but just do something in your community. Do something for the, the folks who are around you. And if all businesses do that, you think, what kind of a different world could it be? So if it isn't clear by this point, or wasn't already, Ben & Jerry's has become something of a leader in the social enterprise space. For a lot of folks, they come to mind first when we discuss responsible business. But with a public profile and high expectations among fans, there are plenty of challenges that can go hand in hand. You put yourself out there and you say, hey, we're we're trying to take the big edge on on these issues, trying to stay, you know, leading edge on these issues. And I think that automatically puts you on a pedestal, right? That, that, and rightfully so. If you're going to go out there and talk about saying, uh, we're using caring dairy ingredients or we're, you know, we're, we're trying to value source where we can. And if someone comes along and goes, uh, this caramel that you're using your ice cream, that doesn't help anybody at all. What, why not? You said you believe in doing these. So I think it's fair, right? If you're going to benefit from that reputation, it's fair that people are able to, to take a shot at you. I think, it's difficult because I think in the in the real divisive world that we find ourselves in this year, and it certainly feels like maybe the last eighteen to twenty four months has been you know evolving and spiking even more uh, that people don't have a polite disagreement anymore, right? They're they're and it's funny I think back uh, you know when I go back to my parents' generation and think they watched the news and the news seemed like it was just reporting what happened, right? Uh, that today's news, it feels like it's just polarizing. Like, which station do you watch? If you say, I watch Fox versus I watch CNBC, that it's just these political angles on both of those. And it feels like 
as consumers, we encourage that, right? We say, I want to go see what Bill O'Reilly has to say, whether you like him or don't like him. And that's where the, the energy is drawn. That's where the advertising dollars go. And so we've kind of created that a little bit, but it feels like, you know, because this, this issue of like Ben and Jerry's being on a pedestal, people will snipe at us sometimes. Sometimes, right, they'll, they'll actually be our consumers and they'll have a, a fair, you know, a, a fair complaint. Sometimes they aren't at all, right? I remember when we took a stance to support same-sex marriage, uh, we had renamed our popular flavor Chubby Hubby ice cream and we, we called it Hubby Hubby. And we went out to the uh, two largest cities in Vermont. It's only 50,000 people in these cities. Uh, that's our largest cities that we have in our whole state in Burlington and Montpelier. And it was the day when people could go get their marriage license. So all of a sudden that law took effect, same-sex marriages could happen. And so we wanted to be there and recognize it and call it out and say publicly, like we support this. We want people to know this is an important thing. Uh, I remember, you know, we put out a press release around it saying, because we wanted to share that news and my name was on the press release. So I ended up I think in 24 hours, I had some like 3,000 emails. And most of them were people saying, I disagree with this. And, and they were angry. It wasn't just, I disagree. There were a lot of words that, you know, it was like a sailor talking to you, uh, you know, using profanity and so much hatred around it. And, uh, you know, you would get these complaints that way that makes you kind of feel bad about going, wow, did we do something wrong? Did we slip up? And then you'd see complaints that would say something like, you know, I hate you because you've supported gay marriage. I'm never going to buy another, you know, I used to buy three half gallons every week of Ben and Jerry's and I'm never doing it again. And then after reading that, you say, we don't make half gallons. That, that person is not our customer. They might not like our values, but we didn't just lose a customer. There was somebody who was not buying our ice cream, not supporting our business and not supporting those same values that we care about. Right. Our, our co-founder, Ben, has a saying that, uh, you know, the strongest, uh, you know, values, uh, share the strongest bond you can have with your fans and customers is through shared values. Right. And so this is exactly that example of saying we don't need everybody to support Ben and Jerry's. We don't need everybody to buy Ben and Jerry's. We believe we want to try to use our business and do good things. If somebody goes, I don't agree with you because you support gay marriage. I'm happy to have a conversation with that person when they're going to just yell at you, use profanity and say, I'm never going to buy your half gallons again. They weren't our customer to start with. What's impressive to me is that their high profile hasn't changed the causes the company works on, nor has it really changed how the work gets done. While many organizations would see the attention Ben and Jerry's receives for their initiatives as reason to only back safe or non-controversial issues, that focus only gives Ben and Jerry's more reason to back the causes that are truly meaningful to them and the communities they benefit. It really doesn't affect us uh, so much that way. I think more more what will affect which issues we'll look at uh, include timeliness, right? So I was talking about that Save Our Swirled campaign. The planning for that started in 2014. And looking forward, we knew in 2015, the COP21 was going to have the largest gathering of world leaders uh, at the time, right? There's like 180 countries were represented. So as we're looking ahead at that, we, we go, okay, if we start this campaign now about the environment and renewable energy, when they meet up, we can bring that message, right? So it's more about that kind of timeliness. I think the same thing with the racial justice work we've been doing the last five years was because we said, we got to get more involved in this. And I think with what you see the it, it, that's been happening, certainly in the US in the last you know year plus since the George Floyd murder, 
that it has been an incredibly hot issue and one that we feel like, all right, we were, we were, we've been doing this work for the last five years. And I think it's not just a one-off statement, right? Like a lot of businesses came out after the murder of George Floyd and they would post something on their social media, like we stand with our black brothers and sisters at this difficult time. And then what immediately would happen is a response from the public and would say, oh, really, what do you do to stand with us? And you'd have some businesses who were legitimate, who probably were, were trying to act in, in the right way. You had some businesses that really didn't have a, a leg to stand on to support there and, and that, you know, their, their position. And so they'd take down their tweet and say, whoops, sorry, we didn't know we were supposed to do more than that. Right. So I think that piece of doing the work is really so important. So when you look back at, at our last five years and look at what we've been doing around, right, we had a, a flavor out five years ago, six years ago now saying, uh, calling it empowerment that was used to empower voters with that whole voter registration campaign we did in 2016. Uh, you know, we we took a stance to support the Black Lives Matter movement officially that year. Uh, we came out a couple years later to, with that pecan resist flavor. Uh, I think a year after that, we launched our justice remix flavor that was just about the criminal justice system and how that's broken and how it disproportionately affects people of color as well as poor people. And so, uh, you know, we're trying to walk that talk. It's not saying put out one statement and then check the box and now you just ride that. You need to continue to stay committed to that and go back to those issues. And, and as we look at racial equity, there are still, you know, a dozen more issues that we could probably work on. The ones that we have right now, right? Uh, we, we've talked about uh, uh, closing down this this notoriously bad prison in St. Louis that uh, about a year ago, we were out there on the streets with our co-founder, Ben, uh, you know, marching up and down saying this prison should be closed. There's just a bunch of poor people who are kept in here. It affects their lives. It's, uh, you know, it, it's so sad when you see the criminal justice system that's filled with people who just couldn't pay their way out of whatever their issue was, right? If you or I uh, stop and get, you know, uh, stop for speeding and we get a $250 ticket, we pay it, we're free and to go. With those people, when they have something like that that accumulates and then all of a sudden they're in trouble with the law and they end up going to jail basically just because they were poor and someone said like, well, they shouldn't have been speeding, right? But if you were speeding and you were white or if you were affluent, you don't have that issue, right? And so, all of those things, when you start putting them together, you look at that body of work and you go, this is what we should be doing in our business. And this is how you can then go out and speak after the murder of George Floyd. We put out a statement saying we must dismantle white supremacy. Silence is not an option. Right. And this idea of saying we're learning these things, we understand the system is the way it is. We need to be vocal about that. If we hadn't been doing that work in the last five years, we couldn't have put that statement out because people would say, like, who are you? you know, white ice cream company up uh, vanilla up in Vermont? Like, come on. Why do you have uh, a a chance to be able to raise your voice around this? I think because we've been doing some of that work the last five years and, you know, you go look in our, go look at our channels on, on our social media. And I think, you know, you'll probably find, I don't know, probably 2,500, 3,000 posts in the last five or six years to talk about racial justice work in all of these areas. And to hear, here's what we're doing. You know, we're working with the uh, ACLU to advise us on a podcast to learn more about the history of racism and the history of slavery and how it's affected our, our country. And when you stack all those things up, I think that's why people go, wow, you guys are actually, you believe pretty deeply in this and you're trying to make a difference. What you might not know about Ben & Jerry's is that the business arm of the company isn't working alone to make a difference. There's also the Ben & Jerry's Foundation, which focuses solely on mission work. The foundation was set up initially with with the you know shares of stock from Ben 
with the idea of saying, you know, how do we have this more intentional group that looks to support progressive change in America, right? So folks, it, it's actually like uh, an affiliated, but an independent part of, of Ben and Jerry. So uh, they do have, you know, kind of the ability to look at grants, folks, and you can find their information out online and, and can apply there. It's that grassroots progressive work that they're looking to support in communities around the U.S. And so those folks, uh, it, one of the unique things about it is that we are actually the, the people who decide where the grantees uh, are, are you know, given money is a team of employees. So it's a cross-sectional team of Benadryl's employees, people who work manufacturing who work throughout the company. I think some people scoop ice cream and we, you know, that team gets together to decide who the recipient should be. So it's kind of unique that way. Uh, Jerry still sits on, on the board of the foundation that way. So it's just been a long time part of, of Ben and Jerry's. Uh, when we were acquired 20 years ago, Unilever committed to being able to continue to fund the foundation at the same amount or, and and larger to continue to grow it as we grow as a company. So it's just this uh, tremendous uh, ability for us to be able to kind of put our money, literally our money, where our mouth is. This brings us to the point in our podcast where we like to pick the brains of some of our guests for advice that other social business leaders or aspirants can use. And although he claims that he's not in the position to give advice, I think that Sean's guidance here is really something to think about for anyone who's trying to make their business better for the world. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, again, we tend to start saying we're not in a position to give other businesses advice, but we're happy to share what works for us. Right. And, and that that idea of saying, you know, when you look at your values, uh, I know Ben had recently been doing an interview and somebody said, you know, trying to learn from your you know, 43 years, Ben, of doing this, how can you speed up the process? Like, how? what can you give us for wisdom? And he said, put your values out there at the very beginning. What is it that you want to do, right? And, and you got to make a great product was his other thing. Like, it doesn't matter how great your values aspiration is. If you don't have a good product, it's not going to last long. People may buy it once, but they're not going to repeat purchase on it. So so I think, you know, those are definitely two pieces of advice that I think are, are great that come from Ben himself saying, you know, establishing those values, letting people know what you care about. You know, I, I tend to think all businesses have the opportunity to have some impact. And again, don't measure yourself to Ben and Jerry's. Be, be your own company and find a way to do something locally, right? I, I was speaking with a group around uh, some of the racial justice work we've been doing and this was a, a group of uh, the PRSA folks in the Public Relations Society of America in, in the Southeast. And the question came up like, I don't have, right, Ben and Jerry's has a social mission team that works on these issues of, of kind of values and how do we bring that to life. And we have maybe six, seven people that work on that team. Uh, and so the question from the audience came up like, I don't have six or seven employees working on social mission. I don't have millions of dollars to put towards this. How can I do this and still, you know, like take a, a stance to support racial justice? And I said, let's take, for example, if you were a small uh, uh, auto parts dealer, like if you owned one franchise of an auto parts store and you said, I want to do something around racial justice. If you said, I'm going to donate $500 and put that in a fund, and then I'm going to put a bucket out on the counter at, at my store and say, I'm going to ask 500 customers to each donate $1. And then together we'll take that $1,000 and send it to a local automotive school and say, for a, a person of color to have the chance to get a $1,000 scholarship for their automotive school, that would be perfect, right? That would be a, an amazing way to say, yes, you're not Ben and Jerry's. You don't need to be. You can make an impact in your local community. You can show 
your values by trying to do something there. That's, you know, $500 is not a crazy amount. That's something a, a small business could, could afford. Asking your community to get involved and sponsor that as well. It's a great message. It shows that you care about it. It gives a chance for other people to get involved in it. Uh, right? That's the kind of activism and, and creativity that I would say challenge yourself if you're a business. And a lot of times when I speak with students and student groups, college folks, I'll say, when you're applying for a job, don't just go in there and interview and tell them why you're the right candidate. Ask them why they're an organization that deserves you. Like, like what is it that your business does that's good for the world? And, and maybe it's right here in your local community. Maybe it's helping out your state. Maybe it's something that's larger. But I think to be able to say it's, it goes along the lines of that B Corp movement. Like if businesses are expected to have some responsibility to do something good in their world, and, and we, if we all say, yeah, we should all be doing that, that is going to create a very different business model. We're just about to the end of the show now. And I'm sure some of you are wondering if we'll ever talk about the ice cream itself. And we're finally there. The big question. What's Sean's favorite type of ice cream? It's a, it's a great question. And it's a fair question. Uh, you know, Jerry and Ben always get asked that. So I, um, I just feel like it's an honorable question to get. Uh, and, and my all-time favorite is Cherry Garcia. That was launched actually the year before I got to Ben and Jerry's in 1987. Uh, and so I usually, you know, kind of throw it out there like a, a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I'm a Cherry Garcia, an old school guy. And then I was working with Emerson College a few years ago. And I had that question from one of the students. And uh, this young co-ed said, uh, replied to me when I said Cherry Garcia. And she goes, yeah, that seems like a, a kind of dad flavor. And I was like, oh. Oh my God. I, I was like, I just grew 10 years in that moment. Like uh, not only is my, you know, am I getting old, but my ice cream choice now is old. So uh, it's funny because when I go to events for Ben and Jerry's that the age group is dudes in their fifties. Now I start stocking up on Cherry Garcia because there, it does. It's true. There's a lot of, uh, of guys my age that are like, and I don't know if it's deadhead fans or what, but, uh, but that is certainly my flavor. So I stick by it. I'll admit it. I had a few pints worth of research this weekend to uh, test Sean's theory. And I've got to say, the classic chocolate fudge brownie gives Cherry Garcia a run for its money. Sorry, Sean. But given the issues we've talked about today, I think we can agree to disagree on just this one point. At the end of our episodes, we like to thank our guests for their time and expertise by making a $100 donation to the charitable organization of their choice. Here's who Sean picked. You know, there's a racial justice alliance here in Burlington that does racial justice work. So that would be fabulous to, to go to them, right? Those are the folks that are on the street right here in our little town in Burlington, Vermont, that are trying to continue to make an impact on racial justice issues. So that would be fabulous. Big thanks to Sean for everything. He's a true wellspring of knowledge and experience in this area. And it was fantastic to get his perspective from a unique spot in the social business world. If you want to learn more about the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance, you can visit them at vtracialjusticealliance.org. If you want to find out more about Ben and Jerry's, their history, or the work they're doing now, you can find them at benjerry.com. In our next episode, we'll see you at the intersection of purpose and personality as we talk to the Myers-Briggs Company. While you might know them for their personality and aptitude tests, you might not know they're a certified B Corporation that's making a big difference both in the office and across the world. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to Assurity's Good Business Podcast. Assurity's Good Business is a production of Assurity Life Insurance Company of Lincoln, Nebraska. 
If you have questions or comments, or if you want to submit an episode topic or guest for us to interview, you can visit us online at www.assurity.com slash goodbusiness, or send us a note at goodbusiness at assurity.com. And if you like what you hear, subscribe and listen to the rest of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to stay up to date. Join us again next time for more stories about how businesses are changing the world. After all, it's good business. Assurity is a marketing name for the mutual holding company, Assurity Group Incorporated, and its subsidiaries. Those subsidiaries include, but are not limited to, Assurity Life Insurance Company and Assurity Life Insurance Company of New York. Thank you.